Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, James Long, and all of our wonderful Jerusalem Lights listeners here in the beautiful month of Adar. Shalom, Rabbi Richman, and, and everybody on your end of the, the big pond and in the Richman home. Um, they're in a secret location in Yerushalayim. Jim, we miss you so much. You know, you were here for for just a few weeks, but it was wonderful recording in person with you. And today, not as a, the memorial is not the right word, but as a as a and remembrance is also not the right word, but as a living testimony to the lunches that I was able to serve you when you came to our undisclosed location to record. I had the same thing myself today. Um, ah, but that I that I was giving you uh, yeah. a bowl of soup and a par of a hot dog. You wanted so that that, um, that vibe that we. I that wanted we the get. feeling of of those lunches, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you you. I won't mention any names, but you you have that in common. Uh, your location and it being hidden with one of our our famous um, commentators in uh, in the news world this these these days, and he's a gentleman <laughs> who who does his show from a hidden location. So First you're of in- all, we all know we all know that you're talking about Tucker. <laughs> and second of all, it's not really hidden. Come on, everybody knows exactly where I am. I I have nothing to hide. It's okay. It's just it's just for the um, the uh, the comic relief that we say it's a it's a yeah. hidden location. That's right. Speaking of hidden, though. Ah, speaking of hidden, what a what a, segue. a lot a lot of uh, hidden is is everything in our broadcast today because we want to talk about about Purim, which is all about things that are hidden. And um, also, in a way, there's some hidden aspects to this Torah portion of Vayikra that we're beginning, the new, the new uh, book of Leviticus. You know, Jim, uh, tonight here, as we, as we record today, tonight is an important date. There's, there's a confluence of a lot of dates that are coming up now. But tonight is the seventh day of Adar. Uh-huh. Tonight begins the seventh day of Adar. Of course, the, the, the day begins in the evening in the Hebrew calendar. Seventh of Adar is a very significant day because it is the traditional um, commemoration of the death of Moshe. The art site, the anniversary of the passing of Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, is on the seventh of Adar. It's also and, his birthday, isn't it? Oh, so this is really interesting. First of all, the first question that people might be wondering when we're asked, when we're saying this is, well, which Adar do you mean? Yeah. Because this year we have, we have two Adars because, and so now we're in the second Adar and that's why Purim is next week because this is the second Adar. So this is actually the last month of, of the biblical calendar. Next month of Nisan, the month of redemption, the month of Pesach is the first month of the year as we read in Exodus 12. <clears throat> but this is a really interesting question and people are gonna right away ask, wait a minute, I've studied the Bible. I don't recall any verse uh, ex- telling us when the, the the death of Moshe took place. So how do we know? So I want to share with you. It's actually a very, very simple calculation that our sages make in Tractate Kiddushin on page 38 in the Babylonian Talmud. And they explain as follows. It's very, very simple. You see, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, it tells us that the children of Israel crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of Nisan. Now, we also read that the crossing of the Jordan, so they prepared for that for three days. 
Okay, so they prepared to cross the Jordan. It took them three days to prepare, and they crossed on the 10th of Nisan. And when did they begin to prepare? Immediately after the 30-day mourning period of Moshe uh-huh. was concluded. When Moshe passed away, you know, when someone passes away, the, the first month is a more intense level of mourning. It's called the Shloshim, which literally means the 30. And so as soon as the Shloshim, the period of 30 days, was over for mourning for Moshe, um, they began the three days of preparation, which took them to the 10th of Nisan. And therefore, we see that he passed away on the 7th of Adar. Yeah. And according to that very same source, that that section of the Talmud that I mentioned, this is also the source where they discuss the birth of Moshe, which you you were aware of that Moshe uh, was was born and passed away on the same day. And this, by the way, is a, is part is an integral part of the midrashic story of Purim. In that Purim, of course, which is an ancient Persian word, really that means lots, because Haman. That wicked man, he threw lots to determine, kind of like a iching. He threw lots to determine what day would be auspicious and propitious, mm-hmm. something else, Isis, for the killing of all the Jews. And he came and he came up with the month of Adar. And so he knew that Moshe passed away on the seventh day of Adar. And that's why he figured that would be a great day. But he didn't realize, according to Midrash, that he was also born on the seventh day of Adar. But how do we even know that? Because he said. In his last speech, in Parshat Vizot Bracha, in the last Torah section of Deuteronomy, what did he say? He said, I am today 120 years old. That was on the day that he died. Yeah. I am I, I, today I am 120 years old. And the, and the sages of the Talmud exp- explained that this means... Hayom today with a definitive hey, because it was the very same day in which he was born. And how do we know that? Very simple, because of the verse in Exodus 23, verse 26, where Hashem says, I will fill the, the, the number of your days. It's part of a blessing there that we find in Exodus 23 in Parshat Mishpatim. Verse 26, Hashem says, I will fill the number of your days. And this is taken to mean and you, you know this, that there's an idea that when it comes to tzaddikim, when it comes to righteous people, their years are perfect. And by the way, King David also was born and passed away on the same day. Right, right. So so this is an idea, you know, when it comes to, to uh, tzaddikim. But can I just t- go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with you for one moment, because it's really interesting. Because, you know, there's always other opinions, Jim. And so there's another opinion, which is expressed in the Midrash Rabbah, that uh, wants to, upon, that, that talks about, well, what day was Moshe placed in that uh, teva in the box in the in the ark of uh, uh, yeah? I, I <laughs> was that word again. I was that just, word again in, yeah. the, in the in the ark, right? Yeah. What, what day was he placed in that in that little boat by his sister in the river? So, according to one opinion, it was on the seventh day of Pesach, which is the twenty-first of Nisan. But according to another opinion, it was on Shavuot, which is the sixth day of Sivan. So let's talk about this for a minute now, this question about when was he placed in that teva. Now, we know that Moshe was placed in that basket 30, three, three months after his birth, because the verse tells us that she couldn't hide him anymore after three months. So we know that he was placed in the basket three months after his birth. So if he was placed there on Shavuot, that makes sense, because that would mean that he was born on the 7th of Adar because Shavuot is the 6th of Nisan. So that is that is uh, three months uh, 
before Shavuot, right? Nisan, Iyer, and Sivan. But how can we explain the, the opinion that tells us that he was placed in the basket on the seventh day of Pesach? And the Midrash answers that that year was a leap year. Ah. And therefore, according to our leap year enthusiasts, he was actually born on the seventh day of the first Adar. Yeah. So we, in any event, this links all the way back to Parsha Noah. If we look in chapter six of Genesis in Breshit, it says that uh, Hashem says, I will not strive with man or strive, my spirit will not strive with man for 120 years. That's a connection to Moshe, who lived to be 120 years, who was put into a teva and turned out to be, uh, you know, a, a salvation for uh, the people of, of Israel. And so we have these two different opinions about his birthday and therefore also the day of his of his passing. And thus, it, it's actually... Like, like many other things, there's an aspect that's observed and remembered in the first Adar and also in the second Adar. And so, uh, but, to, but tonight is the, is the uh, major, um, major commemoration, as it were, because this is the second Adar. And a lot of things seem to be pulling together also, Jim, because, um, you know, um, next week, of course, is the, is the week of Purim, Purim in, for most of the world being on March 17th, which is Thursday, next Thursday. And then Friday, of course, the Purim of Shushan, which is the Purim of walled cities like Jerusalem. And uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of ideas of, of Purim that, of course, flavor and, and characterize the whole month of Adar that are really coming to the surface now also, just in the substance of reality. Because, you know, this whole idea of Hashem's presence being hidden, the whole idea of um, uh, the um, contradictions that we, that we discern in, in, in divine providence and, and, and trying to find our way throughout all of the, all of the um, machinations of, of, of the human condition. Uh, you know, last week we spoke uh, extensively, uh, kind of uh, airing our feelings about what's what's going on with uh, Russia's war. And you know, Jim, if I if I might just complain to you for a minute, as a fellow uh, American, you know, I I am actually an American citizen as well. It really bothers me America's position right now. Uh, there's I see some contradictions in that. You know that America is relying on Russia to um, for, for, for its negotiations in the Iranian nuclear deal. Yeah. Which to me is like so absurd. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, on the one hand, now there are sanctions against, Amer- uh, against Russian oil and gas, which is supposed to be a strong move against Russia. But on the other hand, America is literally relying on Russia for its um, role in negotiating this deal, which does not seem to be something that Israel will be able to live with in the least bit. And at the very, very same time that this nuclear genie is, is um, poised, as it were, to, to uh, hold the world hostage in terms of, of uh, Iran, Iran's plans, 
Putin has his, I don't know, finger on the button or is threatening his fingers on the button or, yeah. and he's, t- and, he, and he is kind of like ratcheting up this tremendous tension and expectation and, and fear of the, the, this, this suspector of this nuclear genie talking about kind of like blackmailing and threatening the West that, that, uh, you know, any, any aid to the Ukraine is pushing him towards, is pushing the world towards nuclear war. What does that even mean? Yeah. You know, and all of the, and all of these themes are, are just so intertwined uh, in, in many ways with exactly where we are in uh, the timeline. Yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, the chapter 38 of Ezekiel and, and the aligning of all of these uh, powers uh, against Eretz Israel, it, even though I don't think people realize how much this is a threat right now to Israel. They think it's a threat. They they think that it's only between Ukraine and between Russia. And I keep wondering if if he completely loses it, if that Putin doesn't try to pull a Saddam Hussein. Remember when Saddam Hussein threatened to bomb Israel? You know, the, the idea that if America comes against me, Saddam Hussein did, did bomb Israel. Oh, you mean nuclear? Yeah. We are, what I'm saying is that, is that he would he would ratchet up the, the threat level to the point of a nuclear threat in in. He hasn't said it yet, but but this is the thing that Saddam did. He said, OK, you come after me. I'm going to come after your your so-called uh, whatever. He, I don't know how he but apparently instead of turning it on us directly, he turned his sights on, on Eretz Israel. And that's what, that's what, and not to put, you know, make the folks listening in Israel right now uh, nervous about it because I, I'm not nervous because, because I believe uh, completely that Hashem is, is uh, protecting you from, from all of this right now. But the, uh, but the, the layers of uh, connections between Megillah Esther and the threat against the people of Israel or, or against the, the Jewish population all over the Persian Empire. Uh, it echoes Jim, profoundly. Right now, Iran is inches away from being a world nuclear power. Right. They exactly. consist. Iran is Persia. The whole poor exactly. story is about Iran. It's, it's about, about Iran. Yeah. And, and the whole idea of of uh, the theme of Purim being about the wholesale slaughter of the Jewish people for no other reason other than that they were Jews. Yeah. And, and Iran has been like for how many years now uh, been basically threatening that it, that, that it will wipe Israel off the map. They've been saying that what, like every Monday and Thursday for the past, how many years? Of course. And, and I say, I say, let's, let's believe them that that's their intention. And then they, from the other side of their mouth, they talk about how they have no intention whatsoever of, of using nuclear energy for anything, but, but peace. And um, it's already been established by all the international commissions, et cetera, that that's, that's not the style of, of uh, operation that they're setting up, et cetera, et cetera. And in the meantime, you know, um, Trump had uh, made all sorts of uh, sanctions and that, and that uh, I don't know, caused them, to, they, they say, to ratchet up their, their program. And in the meantime, now, basically, the whole uh, concept of what the Biden administration is doing is, is trying to uh, resuscitate an, uh, completely the, what they call the Iranian nuclear deal, which, again, Israel's made very clear it can't be tolerated. And as Israel is saying that it will not stand by and allow 
Iran to have a nuclear weapon. Well, this what is, does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. I, I do not know. I do not yeah. know. Yeah, I, I, it, it's completely mind numbing to think why in the midst of all of this chaotic uh, situation. Well, I'm asking, I asked you a question. Why oh. is America relying on Russia to be the broker in, in this obscene, uh, uh, horrible um, um, deal, you know, which is basically uh, going to be an existential threat to Israel. But, but I, I don't understand, is America, um, does America want to, uh, want to uh, um, pressure Russia to, to stop its, its um, uh, y- y- terrible oppressive invasion or, or not really? And it's like, what, where does America stand on that altogether? Yeah. How, can, how, could you, how could you boycott Russian oil and gas and at the same time be so close and so snuggled with, with Russia that Russia is, is your partner mm-hmm. in, in this negotiation? I think the only answer is that because it doesn't make any sense to the, to the logic of, of clear thinking people, why we can't, I mean, I was asking the same question. Why in the midst of all this, suddenly do we start making nice with, with Iran? It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I, I, I hope people don't think I'm being glib, but I think the only answer is, is that when things don't make any sense at all, that's when we know that Hashem is literally moving things and pieces on the, the gigantic chessboard of history into place. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And that comes straight from the Purim story, because the whole idea about the Purim story is that it's a recognition of Hashem being completely hidden. The Scroll of Esther is the only book of the Bible that Hashem's name is not even mentioned in. Yeah. Purim is a celebration of his being hidden. The seven counselors of Achashverosh told him, he said, you, you don't have to worry about the uh, the temple's not going to be rebuilt because they said to him, their God, the God of the Jews is asleep. This is the spirit of Amalek alive and well that, you know, that is to diminish the belief in, in God and to cause you to doubt the, the existence of God. And I think to, to, to complete my answer to your first question, why is the U.S. doing this? I think it's all I can tell you is the real meaning, the real reasons, the genuine reasons for this move with Iran are hidden from us. They're hidden by the powers that be. They're the, 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 it's a hidden agenda, Rabbi. But most people don't realize, certainly the average American does not, is not aware of the fact that when, when we're so concerned about the Iranian nuclear deal being passed and allowing Iran to have nuclear power, it's not just a question of endangering Israel. It's a question of endangering the entire world. Exactly. If the, if the world is willing to give Iranian nuclear power, I don't know, maybe it deserves what it will get because it's not, because it's not even about Israel. It's about giving nuclear power to the most unstable, extreme, um, basically uh, hate, hateful <laughs> regime yeah. in the world. Well, this is, this is why I wanted to mention Ezekiel 38. Because it is such a profound and scary chapter of the book of Yeshkiel to to read, because it talks about all of these powers, and it mentions Persia, which of course, as we just said, is Iran, and these other powers, and then it completely switches the attention and says, suddenly you've got threats of war coming from the north. Stop me here before I just go on and on. But I mean, the point is bringing it all back to to the beginning of of this new reading in the Torah Parsha of the book of Vayikra. 
Here is a book that begins in what is literally the heart of the Torah. This represents Hashem's heart. And what does it begin with? It begins with detail of the offerings. It's, it's all about the offerings, the meaning of the offerings of the korbanot, in essence, almost seem to be hidden from people. They don't exactly. understand. They don't. Exactly. Uh, they don't it's grasp how the close. most widely misunderstood topic in yeah. in, the, in all of Torah. But yet, it is. You know, when you want to keep a treasure safe, you keep it. Um, you keep it insulated. You keep it. Uh, you keep it well protected. And that mm-hmm. is exactly this expression that Vayikra Leviticus is the heart of the Torah, with two books in front and two books uh, behind, and it's in the very middle. But it's but it's much more than that. Um, it's it's like everything has been building up to this, has it not? In other words, the whole concept of uh, the Sefer Avot, the book of the book of the forefathers, the book of creation, Brishit, and then everything that we went through in in Exodus, the descent into Egypt and bondage and and and, and redemption and receiving Torah. It was all about. Um, coming into the land and building the holy temple which is at, which is currently um being as we read is being fulfilled through the tabernacle in the desert but the whole idea is that uh this is the service of hashem but what is that really all about again it's it's so misunderstood you know the first reaction that so many people have when they when they uh, good people people who love hashem people who love torah people who identify very very much with uh, with the themes of uh, of Torah, they're they're put off very very much by the by the concept of the offerings because they feel that it is totally irrelevant that it's uh, that it is uh, archaic that it's not not something that we are going to be ever uh, you know going back to which of course is a, a difficult conundrum because we if we believe that the Torah is divine it's immutable and it won't be substituted or changed so then how would we how would we deal with the whole uh, subject of the temple offerings just because we we don't uh, like it or it doesn't appeal to us and of course I've always said for years that it, the whole thing begins with it with a misunderstanding because if you're translating it as sacrifice then you are totally off because it's not about uh, giving something up or going without it's about coming closer to hashem which is Amen. the word korban which is to to draw close and so it's a tremendous challenge for people to understand uh, what this is really all about because you know everyone assumes that it is about uh the slaughter of animals, whereas actually the emphasis of the book of Vayikra is not about the slaughter of animals. It's about great reverence for life, mm-hmm. and it's about the the it's about the um, preeminence of man. It's about the eternity of the soul of a human being. And frankly, what it really boils down to is this book is about the tikkun the fixing of a human being who was created in God's image, but inadvertently becomes uh, a, a kind of like sullied on the soul level uh, by his animal urge as well. And so th- this book is really about the difference between human beings and animals. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's about how not to become uh, a killer. And so even though animals, animals are being offered in the Holy Temple, I, I always put it this way. You know, I, I mentioned this a number of years ago, and I really um, 
it spoke to me very, very much because people have been saying to me for so many decades that I've been associated with temple uh, research, temple consciousness, and and my position in the Temple Institute for many years. People would say to me, you want to build a holy temple? It sounds like a big slaughterhouse, right? Mm -hmm. So, So it was back in 1848 that the American educator and physician William A. Alcott wrote, the world is a mighty slaughterhouse. And uh, he said, uh, some t- he said, um, the world, I mean, our portion of it sometimes seems to me like one mighty slaughterhouse, one grand school for the suppression of every kind and tender and brotherly feeling, one grand process of education to the entire destitution of all moral principle, one vast scene of destruction to all moral sensibility and all sympathy with the woes of those around us. Is it not so? This is in 1848 that he wrote that. And and now I think human life for so many people in so many places is practically meaningless. The world has gotten so much worse. It's become such a mighty slaughterhouse filled with rage, filled with violence, filled with selfishness, moral decay, exploitation, cruelty, and inhumanity. And so, you know, the whole concept of what goes on in the Holy Temple, and this is, again, I have just... Oh goodness, I, I I get very very passionate about this because it's it's been so close to my heart for so many years. This this whole misunderstood section of Torah, which is such a powerful and important vehicle for us to understand what our own humanity is all about. But the concept of bringing an offering in the holy temple, the again I always use the word offering. Very very careful not to say sacrifice, right? Because it starts us off on the wrong foot. But the whole idea is that people are assuming, and we've spoken about this before, even recently, people are assuming that we're doing it for God. Like God's got to be placated. He's got to be mollified. He's got to be, we have to calm him down. Easy now, God, don't kill us all. You know, don't clap us with thunderbolts. We'll be good. Here's an animal in our stead and that kind of thing. And that is completely wrong, that attitude. This is not about Hashem. It's not for Hashem. He doesn't need it. It's a process that is so uh, powerful for a person to be involved with because it really jars the person. It really kind of pulls the carpet out from under them and makes them understand in a, in a very, very deep soul level that we are not animals and that we are a, 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 we have a godly soul right. that is constantly being 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 challenged and be, and walking a tightrope of, of of free choice. And so it, it, the, the whole concept of everything that goes on in the temple, this is why it's considered to be one of the pillars that holds up the universe, because the refinement of a human being is the true service of God. Yeah. And that's one of the, of the elements that we're really able to, to focus on in, in, uh, when, when our life is centered around the holy temple uh, you know and we've spoken about this too another misunderstanding that many people have is that they assume that the reason why we're so keen on rebuilding the holy temple is because we have no quote remission from sin without it and the whole idea about the the sin offering which is a complete misunderstanding and misreading also of of what true torah philosophy is all about because the idea of bringing a sin offering is is not that the animals is in the person's stead as much as that the person again goes through a process and 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 feels a true level of of um, remorse, regret, and resolve to be more in touch with his with his humanity and to polish his divine soul. It's about healing the the tear 
in the fabric of the universe every time we misuse the life that God has given us. All of the elements are blessed in in this Parsha. When, when it talks about the blessings of the salt and the the oil and the flour and the and the unity of, the of all strata of creation, all the things, unity of the and it works in this cycle of living. But by the same token, it says you are part of this. But because I made you the way I made you, you are to you are unique in this cycle in that you are you you are to take all these other elements that that are mentioned in the service, and you're to elevate them, especially your own life, in the service to your fellow man and in the service to Hashem, which is to be in service to your it fellow is, man. It is the world sense, center of sensitivity. Right. You know, today, I think that it can be said that man's inhumanity to man has become more, you know, institutionalized than ever before. And the Holy Temple... And everything about what goes on there with the offerings is uh, all about the sanctity of life, learning about the sanctity of life. It's it's about rising above senseless and selfish killing, which, by the way, again, if you if you want to really talk about it seriously, if anyone wants to talk about it seriously, then you have to talk about what what is going on today with with um, the slaughter of animals and meat consumption, et cetera, et cetera, and how it and how it's done and how it all fits together. As opposed to the humbling experience of bringing an offering to the Holy Temple as per Hashem's will and Hashem's design, which is meant to help refine a human being to develop deeper reverence for life and especially deeper sensitivity to being a human being created yeah. in, in, in God's in God's image. And so Rabbi, it's just it's yeah. so complex because every every aspect of of the animals that are brought and their and the the details of the requirements and their preparation represents a different aspect of human potential and and every organ is another aspect of human personality and the effect on a thinking person who understands these secrets the effect on on that person who's who has not lived up to his potential and brings the offering to the holy temple it's a staggering effect it's a call to wake up and live it's a call to strive to be the best that a person can be and a reminder to a person, you're a man, you're not an animal. And yeah. everything is so confused today that the, the world uh, is really one big, massive slaughterhouse. Right. And, and, so, and enter, enter the book of Leviticus just at, at, a, at such a time as this. And this, that's why it's such a major theme in Torah. But again, it's not, it's not about some sort of, some sort of, um, you know, some a favor that we're doing for God, or 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 uh, you know, begging Him not to uh, vent His anger on us. So instead, I'm I'm bringing you an offering. It's that's so far from what this is really all about, and it's such a pagan interpolation and interpretation of such an authentically unique Jewish concept, which has to do with uh, the highest service that a person can can give to God is is that which has an effect on the person himself and helps that person to shine forth with more godly light and less of the of the animal driven lust and and sadistic tendency and and self-serving uh and 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 uh selfish uh, tendencies that we all have a lot of people may open up this chapter of Vaikra and and see this list of of commands and instructions on making the offerings in the temple 
you would say, well, what's the connection to Megillat Esther? The destruction of the Beit HaMikdash set in motion events that eventually led to this massive six-month-long Mardi Gras where the, of revelry that ended up in the, in the choosing of, of a Jewish woman as the queen of the Persian Empire. And I would suggest to people, Rabbi, if they really want to put Purim into context, is to read the book of, of Daniel. Read the book of Daniel because it really sets the stage for what's going to happen with this amazing panorama. In fact, according to tradition, Daniel is a character in the Scroll of Esther. That's right. Hatach. It's Daniel. Hatach that, that Esther sent for to bring yes. a message to Mordechai is really Daniel. In Daniel, read about, you read about the fall of Babel, and then who takes over? A king that we call Koresh, a.k.a. Cyrus. And, and it's amazing because Cyrus is called Mashiach in uh, which of the prophets calls him Mashiach? Isaiah. Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 60. Esther happens because of a confusion of time and a misunderstanding of the prophets. Well, that's that's the whole thing is that there's so much. What you're saying is is spot on, but it's even it's even deeper the backstory because first of all, the whole banquet that's taking place is literally a celebration based on this calculation that Ahasuerus was making, that the temple is not going to be rebuilt. Right. A, a miscalculation. So he, was cele- he was celebrating the fact that the temple is not going to be rebuilt. And at this uh, festive meal that was going on and on for 180 days, by the way, uh, uh, which the Jews uh, were invited to and which they, they attended, he was mocking the God of Israel. He was mocking the Holy Temple. He was wearing the the, the garments of the high priest, serving yeah. dishes out of the sacred vessels of the Holy Temple. It was all a, a, a parody. It was all making fun right. of the Jewish people and, and, and their God. And the whole idea of, 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 of everything about the scroll of Esther, the entire backstory is about the... the uh, feeling of abandonment and and the feeling of, of of disconnect that the Jews had from the Holy Temple and the story of of the salvation of of the of the people of Israel in in uh, the scroll of Esther really revolves around their resolve to rebuild the Holy Temple. We go back to the story of Belshazzar and his celebration. Same thing. And of course, th- this was the night that Koresh actually attacked the capital of Bavel. And, and this is when Daniel, you know, looked at the, the writing on the wall and said, you know, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Belshazzar also miscalculated the 70 years that were spoken of by the prophets. The accurate 70-year count begins with the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. But they were counting earlier than that. So they miscalculated every time. I want to mention Koresh because it's very important because one of the things it says uh, about uh, Koresh in the prophets is that he would be given the riches hidden away. Ahasuerus was the heir to all those riches. One of the things that Koresh did is he instituted uh, an ancient empire-wide postal system that was quite efficient. And it uh, it had way stations along the way stretching 
from uh, Shushan to Sardis and from the capital of Lydia uh, over 1,550 miles. Now, Rabbi, why is a, a very efficient and innovative postal system, why is that even uh, important to the story of Esther? That's actually a major theme. It is. The story of Esther, because the king sent out a, a missive to the entire kingdom that everybody could get ready to slaughter the Jews on a certain day. And exactly. then he and Mordecai succeeded in having him rescind the decree, but he was not, even the king was not able to take back the original decree. So they had to quickly, quickly, quickly send out a new decree, which would overtake the original writers in the first decree. Right. So it's actually... Hopefully, it's, it was better than the postal system we have in place today. In fact, it was because the because the story has a happy ending. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. This is God moving things uh, behind the scenes to set this up. This again is something that is central thematically to the story of Esther. Is the idea again of hiddenness of deception, hundred percent. But but the the bottom line is you're talking about the scroll of Esther. Megillat Esther. Megillah is a, is a scroll, right? Megillat Esther, the scroll of Esther. But the word Megillah, that word, it the root of it means revelation, right? Right. So to 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 reveal something, and the name Esther, the root of that word is related to the Hebrew word for being hidden. So this very phrase Megillat Esther, this is really you have to open up your heart in the deepest way because this is so amazing. Megillat Esther is a concept of the revelation of what is hidden. And this is the whole essence of Purim. But what's being revealed on Purim is, is Hashem. It's really Hashem that's being revealed because Hashem's presence was, was hidden. And, um, you know, throughout the whole Purim story, you know, it, we, it looked like we were being... Um, just at the mercy of, of fate, you know, uh, Haman, he's so evil. He decides to destroy the people. He makes a plan. He makes his moves. It's a final solution. And, and everything that he did to destroy Israel ultimately came down on his own head and destroyed, and destroyed him and resulted in this revival for the people of Israel and, and a, a renewal of their commitment to, to Hashem and to the Torah. But Jim, if you open up your heart in the deepest way, what is the most amazing thing of all about the Purim story? The most amazing thing of all, when you think about it, is that there was no overt miracle. In other words, this is not a story where the sea splits, where there is uh, where there are ten plagues, mm -hmm. where there is any sort of miraculous kind of dramatic uh, revelation of godliness. And in fact, again, God's name is not even mentioned in the, in the whole scroll of Esther. So rather, this is, a, this is a revelation of God's hiddenness, but through the natural world, through what could be perceived as just the way things go. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, it's random. It's like, it's like uh, this is Hashem's plan. That he is that how he reveals himself, and and by the way, this is this is very much uh, a part I think of why we uh, have a custom of dressing up, yeah, of disguising on Purim because the, because the truth is, it was really Hashem that was disguised, yes, because his presence was so hidden, and what we are doing is we are celebrating his hiddenness because we are we are. We are emulating Hashem. You know that we're always commanded to emulate Hashem. Hashem is the one who is in disguise. And he 
wants us to reveal him. That's, that's what this is really all about. And, and this theme, it, it carries over into everything all the time. The idea of our lives being uh, a project of, of finding Hashem. Uh, finding Hashem. I hope to speak about this in, in our video about Vayikra more this week. And, and, you know, just to connect everything, Jim, because there's so many things that are going on in the world all around us right now. There are so many things that we've touched upon and, and um, that we're dealing with on a, on a daily level. All of us, this Shabbat, this Shabbat is a special Shabbat. It's one of the four Arba Parshiot, the four special Shabbats that precede Passover. And the Shabbat that precedes Purim, which is this Shabbat, is always called Shabbat Zachor. Why is it called Shabbat Zachor? Because there is an additional Torah reading. And that Torah reading comes from the end of Parshat Kitetse. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the end of chapter 25, where we have the commandment to remember Amalek. Right. And so that is something that we focus on uh, this Shabbat. It's it's a um, time when everybody goes to the synagogue to hear these verses being read, these verses that begin in, in verse 17, chapter 25 of, of Deuteronomy. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were leaving Egypt, that he happened upon you on the way and he struck those of you who were hindmost. And, uh, and the verses that continue and say that... Um, it shall be that when Hashem your God gives you rest from all your enemies all around in the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance to possess it, you shall wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. And this is considered to be Hashem's battle, Hashem's commandment that we are obligated to remember never to forget. Amalek, of course, the, the, the basic uh, connection is the fact that Haman is a descendant of Agag, who was spared, yeah. uh, who was spared by Saul, which was a big mistake, right? Haman is a descendant of Agag. He is of Amalek, and his entire plan was evil. But it's more than that. You see, this this touches upon such an important theme, and it touches upon the question of evil in the world. And today, in the world that we live in, the world that is politically correct and the world that is woke, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you can't say that anybody's evil. Everybody is okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody is fine. Everybody no, unless, is absolutely unless fine. you unless you disagree with them, then you are evil. If but you don't the, if you don't agree with I shouldn't have started you. I shouldn't. No, have I mean you. this is the whole point. If you don't agree with the woke agenda, you they call you names. They call you evil. But the point about Amalek, yeah, is that is that is that the, what Torah is teaching us in Hashem's name. It's not me. It's not you that's saying this. It's Hashem Himself is saying. Do not forget, obliterate their memory. And then and then back in Exodus 17, Hashem says that there's a hand on his throne. And he said he says it's 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 it is his war from generation to generation because Amalek is the epitome of evil, of man run amok completely, of man being completely divested of, of the divine image. And yes, man has free choice. Man has free choice, but then sometimes there's an exception. For example, when it came to Pharaoh, Hashem took away his free choice. And when it comes to Amalek, it's not, it's not that Hashem took away his free choice. It's that Amalek made its decision, and it is the very embodiment of, of evil. And, and uh, this actually fits in, Jim, also very, very much with the beginning of Leviticus this week, with the Parshat Vayikra. Because again, what, what happens with man's gift of free choice is that sometimes we uh, 
descend into this into this spiral we descend into this abyss of the animal soul which we which we are which we have we have an animal soul a person has an animal soul and a godly soul a person is different than than every other aspect of creation in that he is on this tightrope all the time being being literally pulled apart by two opposing forces yeah. and these this is all about the choices that we make and when we when we become confused and when the animal nature within us becomes too uh, um, um, dominating and it, and it takes over, that's when we have this experience in the Holy Temple that sets us to right, that realigns us, that refreshes us, that makes us understand where we've been and, and how we can extricate ourselves from the, from the morass of, of the, the animal within us that's taken over. That's what free choice is really all about. But but Amalek represents this force in the world that is bent on destruction. And Hashem mm-hmm. says, you know, you people that are woke and are politically correct, and you might you might say, no, everything is good. Everything is good. I'm good with that. It's okay. And Hashem says, but I'm not. And that's the amazing thing about this Shabbat, yeah. about Parshat Zachor, about, about our commandment to hear these Verses again, and to prepare ourselves for for what Purim really represents, because Hashem says to us, "No, I'm telling you, I do not condone evil in the world, and you cannot, you cannot recycle it, you cannot dress it up, you cannot excuse it, you cannot accept it, you cannot uh, call it by some fancy name, you cannot rehabilitate it." He says, "I will not tolerate the spirit of Amalek in the world, and I command you to obliterate it," and that is so. Mm-hmm. Extreme. It's not a popular position. And, and there are people that say this can't be the God that uh, of Israel. This can't be a God of love. This can't be the God that I want to make on my terms, the God that I'm comfortable with. Maybe not. But this is Hashem is saying, I will not tolerate evil in this world. And so this is amazing because look where we're look where we're at. Look what's going on. Look what we're fighting for. Look what look what the world is being pulled apart by. Everyone has to take a side. Everyone has to make a decision. And then, you know. Are we going to go down? What What is that poem? T.S. Eliot, is it? Not with a bang, but a, but a whimper? whimper? A whimper, you know, yeah. Is it, is it going to be the finger on the button? Or is it, or is it going to be or is it going to be chufa? Is it going to be global awakening to the oneness of God, which is the secret of what Purim is all about? Is it going to be the world is a mighty slaughterhouse? Or is it going to be the rebuilding of the temple wherein we completely refined the, 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 the nobility of human character and nature and and realign ourselves with our place in the universe. Yeah. Amalek basically said there's no God, so things just happen by chance. The whole narrative of Esther says, no, nothing happens by chance. So, things don't just happen. Is That's the, the God, biggest weapon of Amalek. The biggest weapon of Amalek is to make a person feel that everything is random. Right. And nothing exactly. really matters. Nothing really matters. Yeah. And that feeling that nothing matters is the is this this universal cosmic cancer that 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 destroys our life force, thinking that nothing matters. And speaking of how that comes out, how that plays out in the story of Esther, it's what's amazing is that Mordechai messages Esther. We have to do something to save the people of Israel. This is must be exactly why you're in the palace at this time. And what does she respond? She responds, but you, but you know, that's you know the rules. Uh, I haven't been called for thirty days, and so you know, what, when whoever approaches the king could be killed. And so Mordechai says to her the most unbelievable thing in the scroll of Esther. He says, "You know what? 
if you don't do it, somebody else will do it. Exactly. And you and your father's house will be it will be remembered for for ignominy if you and if you don't do it. So then, revach v'hatzalah, which means respite and and salvation, will come from somewhere else. Hashem will do it. But what is she? What is he saying to her? Really, basically, what he's saying to her is rally and understand that uh, if you don't do it, the Jews will be saved anyway. But but you have a role here. It's about your choice, and every person has has a choice to be part of Hashem's plan or not. And and you know what? If I could say one thing to this whole generation of everything that we're all going through as a family of man. It's like, do you want to be a spectator? Do you want to be? A, do you just want to be driven along like a passenger uh, on this train and watch a train wreck, or do you want to rise up and play your part in bringing about the redemption? Because that is absolutely the choice that is given to every single one of us now. That's what. That's what it's all about. That's what the return to Torah is all about. That's what Jerusalem is trying to is trying to manifest that we have the opportunity to develop our relationship with Hashem and our understanding of our place in the universe, in Hashem's plan for all of humanity. And and this is exactly what's driven home by every aspect of the story of Purim. You know, Rabbi, don't you think that the other major lesson that we we can glean, and there's so many from Megillah Esther, if you seek the God of Israel, and you seek his his teachings and his teachers that that these secrets will be open up to you that you'll be aware of the times and the seasons and you'll know when the times are right for us to act and you'll understand that when things are happening and they don't they seem random that it's it's from Hashem and it's in his timing because time is so wrapped up in in the story of the Jewish people, uh, the, the festivals come at a certain time, the observations of the moon. And these people who opposed God, these things were hidden from them. You, you look at these figures that we just mentioned that, that miscalculated. And the reason that I, I, I wanted to mention that it would be wonderful if you have the time to read Daniel, kind of it, to, to set the stage from Megillah Esther, one of the controversies that continues today is this idea of the Jewish chronology having around 150 odd years missing from it. And one of the reasons I'm such a fan of Alexander Hull's book called The Challenge of Jewish History is he says, no, Seder HaOlam is accurate. And the reason that you believe that it's inaccurate is because you are falling prey to something that began with the Greeks centuries ago. Because what happened, what did Daniel, what did Daniel warn us about in Daniel 7:25? He warned us about those who seek to change the times and the seasons. When you change the calendars and you change the chronologies, you can hide whole swaths of history. And Sir Isaac Newton, one of the most brilliant men of, of our of, of any age, said that the Greeks schemed to rewrite history, shifting the entire Persian period back in time, making it seem to come, <clears throat> excuse me, come to a complete stop with the rise of Alexander the Great. They added over 150 years to the histories. This is from this is from Isaac Newton. 
Wow. That's amazing. So that's the missing 150 years. Right. It, and wasn't, it wasn't missing. It was added. So that if you look at the biblical account of this found in Daniel, and he speaks prophetically of four kings, if you believe the secular account of this chronology, where there were, there were 10 or 11 Persian kings, not four or five, then you can forget the story of Esther being a reality. You can forget the prophecies of Daniel. This was all an agenda on the, on the Greeks. They even tried to wipe out the accounts. They, they actually destroyed all firsthand accounts of Alexander the Great. And this is the other profound hidden aspect of the, of the Purim story. The, the Greeks tried to hide the Purim story. If you look at all the histories of, uh, of Persia, they will tell you there's nothing remotely like a Mordecai and a, a an Esther. But I'm here to tell you that there is, if you know where to look, and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that next week, and, and who, uh, who Ahasuerus really was, how Mordecai's name is found in the ancient Persian records. It's written down there for you to read, Rabbi. Mordecai's mentioned and other figures in the Purim story are found on the records. You know that there the is records. a place of pilgrimage today, Jim, the tombs of Mordecai and Esther in Iran exactly. today. Exactly, yeah. I just want to say, um, in in uh, some something of a summary in my own mind, that regarding the beginning now of the book of Leviticus and this timing of this Shabbat, of Zachor, the Shabbat, special Shabbat of remembering Amalek and everything that's going on in the world, you know, it connects to me with one with one idea, and that is Hashem reminds us that there is evil in the world and that he is not good with it. And he does not want us to accept it at all. Right. And so and so this is on a number of levels. First of all, it's on the level within ourselves, because again, that is what the whole idea of the service of the Holy Temple it, it comes to rectify and comes to address is the confusion and the admixture within a person and the, the murkiness within a person. And the constant call, the constant beckoning from on high for a person to be in, to become in touch with their godly soul and to and to and to polish the divine nature of our character. That's what the service of the Holy Temple is really all about. So that's regarding our own demons that we struggle with. That Hashem says, no, don't accept. Don't allow yourself to 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 plummet and to descend into a low level. And then the concept of Amalek, concept that we'll be reliving and remembering this Shabbat, the the for the, the forebear of Haman and his plan, and the whole concept of Hashem's hiddenness, and uh, everything that's going on in the world today. With, with that, what's his name again? Uh, hold on again. What's his name? Uh, William A. Alcott in 1848 said the world is a big slaughterhouse, and 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 so. The Holy Temple is all about reverence for life, and that is what Shabbat Zachor is all about, because Amalek's attack against Israel, um, you know, that that is what happens. Amalek is all about people making the choice to divest themselves of their humanity to the extent that human life has no, has no value. And that leads to the most savage instincts, when when we abandon our humanity, it leads to the most savage inst instincts of of of, of uh, selfishness and lust and self gratification, and that leads to murder and destruction and the destruction of the world, and that is 
what we are called upon to become a, um, a, a strong fortress against. We are called upon to save the world from that kind of destruction through everything that we do by taking our responsibility. So may Hashem bless us that we should take these things to heart and be ready for the eye-opening revelations of Purim, the eye-opening revelations of the book of Vayikra that is a lifetime of understanding and study. And may Hashem bless us with the strength and the wisdom for us to continue to polish our own humanity and, and refine ourselves and separate our godly soul from our base animal nature to truly reflect His image and live up to our own potential. To, to strengthen the power of good in the world by, by magnifying and illuminating Hashem's presence in the world, which is Amen. really what the Holy Temple is all about. And, and that's what the Purim story really, really brought home. Amen. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>